You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. How are you doing today? Yo, yo, yo. What's up? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Actually, I tell you what, <laughs> I, I had KFC for dinner for the first time in the longest time. Okay. And I'm glad I'm feeling good today because yesterday night after eating it, I was not feeling good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, fast food is heavy when you, yeah, when you eat it know. for dinner. It's, uh, yeah. I haven't had KFC in a really long time. I lived next Me to neither. KFC for a really long time, right. but I didn't go there. I only went there once. So. Mm. Everybody says when you eat McDonald's, you get the McGurgles, mm. but uh, I, I don't know what the equivalent for, is for KFC, <laughs> but whatever it is, I had the equivalent of the McGurgles last night, but <laughs> I'm lucky. I'm feeling good now. I was a little bit concerned at one point because I was feeling quite sick, but uh, we're all good. We survived. Good. Anyway, <laughs> how's Melbourne treating you? Are you out of your lockdown? Can you go to the shops yet? Or? Yeah, it, we're, uh, we're we're coming out of it. We've still got some restrictions in place, but it's uh, yep. it's slowly getting better. So, uh, fingers crossed, things will just kind of get better from here, and we don't have to go back into another lockdown. But you never know. We'll uh, we'll see. Are you guys we'll still adding daily cases, or are you down to zero now? Um, honestly, I don't know about the last couple of days, but they haven't been like growing at a high rate as far as I'm aware. Oh, okay. So, um, that's obviously yeah. a really good thing, but we've got a few things to talk about today. Uh, big new story out of the US Fed, uh, that will have a bunch of stuff to, to talk around some vaccine yeah. news, um, and some information about, uh, Michael Burry is back on Twitter. He's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we did miss that, man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a couple of other things, a bit of a follow-up kind of uh, in relation to corporate tax. We had a big discussion around last week. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be really interesting because we spent a lot of time uh, talking about, you know, overseas tax rates, corporate tax, that Facebook story. And then this week, it just so happened that there was a heap of news about um, G7 that all those countries getting together and talking about the corporate tax rate. Yeah. So, that'll, I think that'll be interesting. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, with that said, let's just jump into it. So, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio and it will allow you to keep track of all of the different types of gains. So, capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then you can also use it when it comes to tax time, which is, of course, really important, especially if you're in Australia or New Zealand. We have tax time. Uh, the end of the financial year is coming up on us in a couple of weeks time. So, ShareSite can generate up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So, you can use that link to sign up to a free plan or you can use it to sign up to a premium plan and get four months off a yearly subscription if you do that. So, go check it out. And again, thanks to everyone who has used that link uh, to sign up and uh, is supporting the podcast. Thank you. Mm, yeah, definitely. We, we do appreciate it. Um, as we say from time to time, that helps us with the, uh, with the ongoing costs of running the podcast. So, it is uh, it's very much appreciated. 
All right. Do you want to talk about the Federal Reserve first up? Yeah. Yeah. I think we should. This is probably the biggest news story that happened this week in terms of uh, people investing in the stock market and things that impact stock market investments. Yeah. Very true. That's the thing though. It's like when you look on CNBC, this is like front page news. This is the most read article, but it's actually like, it's not that big a deal. Um, It's just, I feel like everybody right now is just paying attention to what's going on with these Federal Reserve meetings. Um, That it just become, even if there's no news, it becomes big news, you know? Yeah, I mean, so many (laughs) people- that makes sense. Well, I mean, so many people now, and not just individuals, but big firms as well, will just- strictly a big part of their trading strategy is to to look at what the Fed is saying and and yeah. get an impression of what the Federal Reserve is going to do in terms of monetary policy in the future. Um, so it is it's it's really a big spectacle, but at the end of the day it's just it yeah, sometimes not that much really comes out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the big news is that there's no news. <laughs> exactly right. Um, but yeah, so let's talk. So if 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 you if you're not sure, um, so the Federal Reserve they meet eight times per year. I thought it was once a month, um, but no, it's eight times per year right. to discuss monetary policy. And the most recent meeting of the Federal Reserve happened just a few days ago. So there were just at the top level some highlights of what was uh, said and done. So the interest rate remains unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, asset purchases remain at 120 billion per month. Um, they increased their forecast for inflation this year from 2.4% to 3.4%. Mm. GDP growth this year is uh, estimated at 7% now instead of 6.5%. And forecasts for unemployment remain unchanged at 4.5%. Um, so, that's kind of what I guess the, the major headlines at a top level. But the big news out of this meeting is that, well, this is what's being reported on a lot, is that the Fed expects to raise interest rates earlier than what they had previously stated. So, mm. previously they stated they were not going to touch interest rates until 2024, so quite a way away. Now, they are ex- now they expect that they will raise interest rates at some point in 2023. Um, and in fact, from the meeting, seven of the 12 Federal uh, Federal Reserve officials see a rate increase sometime next year. And that number, seven of the 12, is up from four out of 12 last quarter. When uh, when when asked about it, uh, Jerome Powell, he said, you can think of this meeting that we had as the talking about, talking about meeting. <laughs> Powell <laughs> said in a phrase that recalled a statement he made a year ago that said where he said the Fed wasn't thinking about thinking about raising rates. So, <laughs> they're thinking about thinking about it, Hamish Hodder. <laughs> I mean, that's th- this is how ridiculous that, that, that statement is so ridiculous. And the reason why they're saying that is because people act now on what the Fed is saying, not on what they're doing. And now he's kind of saying, we're not even, no, we're not even talking about it yet. We're just talking about talking about it. Like yeah, we'll talk about it next time. Like they know how sensitive what they say is to people investing in the stock market because it's yeah. not as if they come out and say, we're raising rates. That isn't what's going to move the market. It's when they come out and say, we're going to raise rates. Immediately, the market will move. So, they have to be so careful. It's like they're walking around on eggshells to, to just be <laughs> yeah. careful with what they say and not upset anybody too quickly. But I mean, 
it's not surprising that they didn't raise interest rates. I, I don't think. Um, it's also not really surprising that they they're continuing their 120 billion dollars per month of of printing money and buying mortgage bonds and and government bonds. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. It is a lot to be doing on a very consistent basis. This isn't a yeah. this, You know, this has been going on for quite a while now, and they're. It looks as though like they're they're intending to continue that for a significant period of time. The most interesting thing out of that, I think, is their inflation forecast that that mm. has risen quite steeply, almost fifty yes. percent, almost a fifty percent increase on mm. their expectation of inflation. Um, mm. The other thing that's interesting is that GDP, their GDP expectation didn't go up 1% as well, right? Because within that GDP yeah. number is inflation, of course. Um, real GDP would be the GDP minus inflation. So, the fact that they raise GDP less than they raise their inflation forecast also means that they're expecting slower growth than they previously saw. So, oh, okay. Um, there you go. A couple of interesting yeah, things to think sense. about. Yeah. Yeah, and I do have a little bit more to talk uh, to to say on the uh, the inflation side of things, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, just reading through this uh, CNBC article, it says, as expected, the policymaking uh, Federal Open Market Committee unanimously left the benchmark short term borrowing rate anchored near zero. But officials indicated the rate hikes could come as soon as 2023, after saying in March it saw no increases until at least 2024. Um, though the Fed raised its headline inflation expectation to 3.4%, a full percentage point higher than the March projection, the post-meeting statement continued to say that inflation pressures are transitory. <laughs> the, the raised expectations come amid the biggest rise in consumer prices <laughs> in about 13 years. And uh, on, on that note, so- the 12-month percentage change of the consumer price index in the US sat at 5% in May. Wow. Um, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, think think about that. The 12-month percentage change in CPI. So, it has changed by 5%. It has gone up by 5% in, uh, in 12 months. So, I had a look at this actually, and that's almost as high as July 2008, where it had a 12-month percentage change of 5.7%. Six percent, um, right? How I, I thought this is interesting because, you know, maybe you could argue something like, uh, "Oh, the, the change is so drastic because I don't know, we saw like massive deflation last year around this time or something like that." Um, and I guess, in fact, that like the worst, the worst change or the lowest change was in March two thousand twenty. The twelve month percentage change was just zero point one percent. So I guess that just means that consumer prices were just flat. And since that time, they have risen 5%. Um, right. So, yeah, I, f- I find that very interesting. Does that Is that right? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, ma- that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. mean, f- 5% is astounding. And I think, I, I don't know, like no one really knows what's going to happen for the rest of the year or going into next year with these kind of numbers. But they're seeing some, inflation is seeing some big month over month numbers. And I think to me, that's more interesting because- it's showing not a comparison to last year, but a comparison to just this year. How are things changing over the course of this year? Um, so, to see how that continues for the rest of the year will be interesting, but well, mm. no one really knows. Uh, I mean, you you really can't listen to what the Fed says. Don't th- go, oh, they've upgraded it to 3.4%, but they still say it's, uh, it, it's not going to last, so it's going to be okay. They have no idea either. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean- th- so, what we actually are going to see could be could be anything. So, 
we'll just have to wait mm. and see, see how it plays out. But so far, inflation has been uh, very, uh, very strong, at least over the past couple of months. Yeah, definitely. And we've been seeing it everywhere. Every, everybody's talking about it. All the people we follow are talking about it. It's like the number one thing they're talking about right now yeah. is how inflation's going crazy. Um, the example I always point to is Warren Buffett talking at the uh, shareholder meeting, how he stood up and said, yeah, we're seeing huge inflation in, in our various businesses in Berkshire Hathaway, you know, steel prices going up through the roof, lumber prices going up through the roof, cost of new housing going up, and they're just <laughs> passing on the costs. It's just everybody's talking about inflation right now. It's yeah. a hot topic. I mean, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, you have an environment where the cost of debt, the, t- the cost to get money and even equity as well, the cost to get shareholders on board is the lowest it's ever been in history for the longest period it's <laughs> yeah. ever been in history. So, it's no yeah. surprise that prices are rising. There's no surprise that there is hot economic activity that's forcing prices up and forcing supply chain issues and, and shortages that cause p- more price increases. That's There should be no surprise to anybody who knows is a, a little bit about economics. Um, it's just a matter of how long this will go on for and what other factors will will uh, will impact the, the inflation rate over the next couple of years. But we will see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, should we talk about uh, why investors care so much about inflation? Yeah. And I think, we, we, I mean, we've probably spoken about this a few times, but I think it's always good to kind of reiterate uh, why is it that we, we care about inflation. And the main reason why we care about inflation is because of the impact that it will have on interest rates. So, interest rates is kind of the main lever that the Fed has at its disposal to limit inflation. So, if inflation is getting out of control, um, the Federal Reserve can raise interest rates, increase the cost of debt. Um, and uh, as a result, that will reduce the, the flow of money around the country and, and, and reduce the economic activity. Um, if interest rates are to rise, then there's a, a variety of kind of things that happen. The first thing, and I think the easiest way to think about it, is all assets that offer any kind of yield are kind of connected in a way. So, they're all compared to yeah. each other relatively. So, um, at the lowest end, you have the risk-free alternative that is basically investing in US government bonds because the government has never defaulted on them. So, we consider those risk-free. But if the rates on those go up, if the return you can get on those goes up, then the return that you can get on a stock is is also likely to go up. Um, so, the way you could think of it is, you know, if the US bond goes from 1% to now it goes to 4 percent, for example, which is extreme. But if it did that, then you may no longer want to invest in a certain stock. You might want to sell that stock and and put money into that bond. And that's a very um, clunky way of explaining it. But that's kind of the mechanic that happens in the market. Yeah. I think if you zoom out and you look at it at a a massively, like you think about all of just the big, big money that's in the market. I mean, generally speaking, if bonds become increasingly, new bonds become increasingly attractive, then money will start to shift from, it's like flowing from stocks to bonds. And, And what we're seeing, what we've seen with low interest rates is that the money is now flowing from bonds to stocks. So, yeah, yeah, I think what you're saying, how it's all connected in a relative way is correct. And when you zoom out to a massive, like a 10,000 foot view of it all, then that does make sense. Yeah. Um, And and the other thing is that 
most investment firms use the US uh, the, use the risk free alternative, the US government bond rate, as a discount rate in their valuation. So that's the other thing is as soon as there are actual changes in bond rates and the rate that the Fed is setting the official funds rate, as soon as there's changes in those, these big investment funds are putting that into their spreadsheets, changing the valuation of the businesses in their portfolio, and then immediately adjusting their portfolios based on that. So, that also plays a significant role. um, That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a a really good point. It totally changes people's uh, or big funds- um uh, valuation models. That's that, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, you're right. And that's also the reason why um, people are so sensitive just to what the Fed is saying, not necessarily what the Fed is doing. Because as soon as the mm. Fed changes something like, oh, instead of raising in 2024, we're now raising in 2023 or we're raising in 2022, all of a sudden that also goes into their modeling. Now they're going to be discounting at a higher rate one year sooner. And you know, as a result, that's going to impact the the way that these big firms value stocks um Mm. so yeah that that's kind of the the main reasons why it also has other impacts of course i mean inflation itself has impacts on consumers it makes it um more expensive for for the the standard of living or the the cost of living i should say not the standard the cost of living goes up for consumers and and that makes things more challenging um and then the raising of interest rates to curb inflation um will also make consumer debt more expensive they'll have less Mm. money to spend Um, credit card debt will go up up for a lot of people and be more difficult to pay back. So, um, mm. that's kind of some of the, the impacts that we would see from inflation and then the raising of interest rates as a result of inflation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's quite, it's interesting. It has, a, it has an Im- impact on a lot of different things, but yeah, ultimately, I guess investors don't like inflation in a big way. And the main reason for that is what we're talking about. It means that we control inflation by raising interest rates and the raising of the interest rates generally hits stocks. Mm. It has a whole range of measures, which obviously we just talked about, but long story short, it makes stock prices come off a little bit. Mm. Um, But yeah, no, that was good. That was a good explainer. That was a good explainer. Um, So yeah, I mean, kind of interesting. I mean, we've been talking about it for all of like 15, 20 minutes now. (laughs) Really, there's not too much news out of this. We could have said, you know, the top level stuff in half a minute, you know, (laughs) rate remains unchanged. They think they're going to raise rates one year sooner, but it's still not till 2023 full stop. But it's interesting how even though that's really all there is to it, once you actually f- follow that through to all of the different, you know, factors and all the different players that are involved in the market, it actually becomes quite a big story. Definitely. Um, but yeah, we might leave that one there. I think that's pretty much all we had to talk about for inflation, the Federal Reserve. Um, should we talk about following on from what we were talking about last mm. week with all this corporate tax rate stuff? When we were discussing how Facebook has its subsidiary in, uh, in where was it? In Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. To avoid paying tax. And now we've had this G7 meeting and one of the topics they talked about was uh, a minimum corporate tax rate. Do you want to take us through this one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, the uh, the G7 meeting, I think, or they're, they're going to be 
striking a deal over the weekend um, in order to make some changes to to corporate tax rates for those countries. So, um, the G7 uh, meeting, uh, for those who are not aware, is a political forum that's made up of seven countries, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the UK. And uh, basically, they're going to get together and and strike a deal or hopefully strike a deal um, that's going to make multinational corporations, so big corporations that operate in a lot of different countries, um, to pay more tax. And yeah, as you mentioned, we spoke a little bit about a similar story last week where um, we were talking about how Facebook was able to to basically move their Australian revenue money that they really do generate in Australia to, to move that money to Singapore in order to avoid the the Australian corporate tax rate. Um, so, in relation to that, we, we now have this meeting of seven countries that does not include Australia, um, but maybe like the, the, the beginning steps of, uh, of some changes that we might see uh, in corporate tax rates uh, mm. over the, the next couple of years. Um, and, and basically, in terms of what these big companies are able to do beyond what we spoke about last week with Facebook doing um, like revenue moving into Singapore, um, what a lot of big companies do is they put their headquarters in low corporate tax rate countries. Um, so, for example, I think we spoke a little bit about this last week as well, but companies like Google, Facebook, Airbnb, they have their headquarters in Ireland um, and the corporate tax rate in Ireland at the moment is 12.5%. Jeez, <laughs> which is, that's uh, nothing. Yeah, it's low. I mean, the corporate tax rate in Australia is 28.5%, I think, or 30% if you make over- Yeah, to be 30, 30% for those ones, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's a big difference if they can uh, if they can put their headquarters in a, in a low corporate tax rate area um, and mm. that specific- um, uh, Ta- that that specific action of putting their headquarters in Ireland allows them to avoid the 19% UK tax rate, which 19% is still quite low. Uh, yeah. It's lower than the US, I believe, which is at 21% at the moment. Um, so, but I mean, I guess it makes sense if you can just move next door and save like, what is it, 8 9% in tax, then you're going to do it. <laughs> it. Exactly. The businesses are going to do it for sure. Yeah. Um, so, there's really two things that came out of this deal. The first was that the deal would force companies to be taxed in any country where they make more than 10% profit on sales. Um, and according to the article, at that point, the company would have to pay 20% tax um, beyond the, the 10% that they made on um, their sales. The second part of the deal is really interesting. This would be... T- for those countries, those seven countries, to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate of 15%. So, basically to start the the movement of getting countries to honestly really unionize in a way and and band together against these big companies, these big multinational corporations and say, let's not lower our tax rates below a certain rate so that these companies have to pay tax in our countries. Um, So, the aim really is to prevent countries from undercutting each other um, to attract corporations, which is something that's accelerated in particular since the the birth of the internet. Because if you think about businesses before the internet, let's say the article drew an example to like a a steel manufacturer or steel producer. Um, It's very difficult for a company like that to move their operations into a different country. 
it's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of physical assets that make it very difficult for them to, to to move their operations. Whereas something like an internet company can it can be very nimble um, and can move their headquarters around the world. You know, every few years if that's what's necessary. They need to. And as a result, it's become much more attractive for countries to undercut each other um, on tax rates, and uh, that has of course benefited corporations because <laughs> that means that they're getting a better deal um, for mm. tax rates in different countries. Yeah, this this does make sense. I mean, as as countries, what we we're talking about last week, you just want to you just want to generate a lot of tax revenue. Um, that's really what you want to do. So it does make sense for them to all come together and say, "Hey, let's all agree. <laughs> if we do this together, we will all be better off." So, yeah, I, I totally understand why this happens and uh, I think it's good that it happens because otherwise, I mean, if this stuff was left unchecked, then surely we'd get to a point where, I don't know, for, for example, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but what would you say Ireland was? It was like 11%? 12 and a half, yep. 12 and a half and then Singapore goes 10, Australia goes 8, US goes 5 and then all of a sudden no corporations pay any tax because there's just consistent undercutting. We get into the- Imagine if we got into this environment where it was just like- just companies just did not pay tax at all. <laughs> the, That'd be insane. The country starts paying the the, the business to stay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please stay because, the, you know, if it was just left unchecked, I guess that could happen because it's like they if the, if the company stays in that country, then they're still employing the citizens of that country. You know, um, they provide a lot of jobs, which is helpful politically. Um, so, yeah, that would, that would just be the most bizarre situation. Um, but it does make sense that these countries get together, shake hands and go, yeah, let's make sure that we, we all agree to tax them at least, say, 15%. Mm, definitely. The US within the group of seven nations is pushing particularly hard on this deal. And um, it, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Biden has made it very clear that he wants to raise the corporate tax rate from the current 21% to 28%, um, which would still be below the 35% that it was previously. It's actually kind of crazy how much that their, their tax rate went down <laughs> under the Trump administration. Yeah. 35 to 21 is a huge drop. The US Monster. basically went from being one of the highest corporate tax rate countries to one of the lowest in a single year, which is kind of crazy. But Biden wants to raise that back up to 28%. And um, that's kind of part of his plan to, to, to pay down some of the debt and cover some of the cost of the the increased level of stimulus that's been necessary over the past couple of years um, mm. uh, in order to, to help individuals and businesses. Um, and yeah, this deal would hopefully uh, prevent uh, countries from competing in a race to the bottom in attracting <laughs> yeah. big tax paying corporations. <laughs> yeah, no, so true. So true. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it is difficult because it's it's an interesting situation to me because these businesses are so flexible in how they can move around and that is something that is brand new. So, it kind of makes sense that there would have to be different rules that apply now than they 
needed to be in uh, previously. Oh, definitely. In the article I was reading, I read a couple of articles about this and one of them raised a couple of problems with this kind of deal. And I think these are fairly common sense things um, that will be problems in order for, to get this through. But the first is, of course, that it's just difficult to get seven nations to agree on something, um, particularly when those countries are basically agreeing to give up some of their sovereignty, to give up some of the power of control over their own country in a way. That's a good point. Because they're yeah. all saying, hey, we're all going to agree to not change laws in this way, whereas previously we could have. Um, and that is going to be difficult enough, let alone expanding the deal to include all countries, right? Because th this deal doesn't really... Um, it, it would help a little bit, but it wouldn't really help unless the vast majority of countries got on board. Because yeah. um, if only seven nations agree to not lower their corporate tax rate below 15%, but then Ireland, for example, doesn't join and keeps their tax rate at 12.5%, then no one's going to move out of Ireland. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, that's probably going to be a, a pretty challenging thing for these countries to, to overcome over the next few months, I guess, as they try and get more countries on board with this. Um, but the biggest concern, and this was something I hadn't really thought about too much, but the biggest concern, according to the person who read this article, was uh, the kind of impact that this would have on developing countries. So, for wealthy nations, say like the US or, or um, the UK, um, that have really strong and trusted currencies, it's really easy for those nations to get stimulus in the form of debt in their own currencies and, and give it to the population. And we've seen that in Australia, for example, as well, where there's just been a huge increase in debt and we've been able to get stimulus to individuals and businesses. But for a lot mm. of developing countries, that really isn't an option. They can't just take on more debt in their own currency. So, the best lever that a lot of developing countries have for stimulating economic growth is lowering taxes and attracting businesses. Um, yeah, true. So, that could be difficult to get some of those countries on board that um, where this may not be uh, an option for those countries, that the best option they have is to lower taxes and attract businesses to to stimulate economic activity when it's not there already. Um, so, it was an interesting thing that I, I hadn't thought too much about. Mm, yeah. I just I, I just had a quick look at um, <laughs> at Singapore's uh, response to this G7 proposed tax rate. It says, responding to the G7 agreement, Singapore's finance minister, Lawrence Wong, said in a Facebook post that the city-state's authorities would make any necessary changes to the corporate tax system when a global consensus is reached. <laughs> <laughs> so, never. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, well, you guys- uh, uh, you know, you, you figure it out, you know, off you go, figure it out. And then, uh, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> In the meantime, we will keep all of the multinationals <laughs> right yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. In our country. Pretty much. I'm just trying to read G7 agreement spells bad news for Singapore. It's like, but Singapore's not included in this G7 thing, is it? No, no, they're not. No. So I don't know why it would have a negative impact, but they seem to, they seem to think it was. Uh, anyway, can't can't speak too much about that. I'm trying to read at the same time. That's not going to do anyone any favors. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, what what do you think? Do you reckon that this will end up happening? This 15% minimum G7 
tax thing? Um, I mean, you reckon it'll go through? I mean, maybe whether it has any lasting impact on on businesses, whether they can not, whether, whether businesses can find a way to get around these kinds of things. Mm. Look, they probably will. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, um, would, yeah. yeah. What do you think? I was just sorry. I was just going to say I, I, I interrupted you there a little bit. I think you know it, it makes sense for them to do it on one hand because I mean a lot of business is just in these seven economies, so them just doing it anyway will help them. But I don't think it will solve that overarching problem that there are these countries like Ireland or Singapore where it's just very low tax because they're not included. I mean it it literally does. If you want to solve this problem of big corporations escaping to little tax uh, little tax countries, then it really needs to be a global minimum corporate tax rate. Otherwise, there's yeah. always going to be a way out. Um, but I think overall, it's still a good idea because I guess a lot of, a lot of corporations just can't help but have operations in these um, G7 countries. So, I, I still think it has some impact and it probably makes sense for it to go through. But uh, I, I still think it's far from closing the the tax haven loopholes that the, that the world currently experiences. Mm, definitely, um, take us through uh, right. what Michael Burry's been saying back on Twitter because I, yeah, I haven't is- actually seen this, but I knew yeah, that he came back. Yeah, th- this is this is a quick story. There's not too much to talk about here. I just thought I'd include it because uh, you know Michael Burry is someone that I follow very closely. Um, he was right in a big way when he predicted the downturn of the American housing market in uh, in what turned out to be 2007, 2008. But really, he was picking it back in 2003, 2005, that kind of time period, which is staggering. Um, but uh, he pretty much was tweeting a lot earlier on in the year about how America could see hyperinflation and how it's quite likely that we're going to see... Uh, the world fall apart, to put it uh, to put it lightly. Uh, oh. <laughs> he he really was he really was putting forward a good argument and posting lots of detailed charts and examples of how, you know, America was going to struggle and inflation was going to run right. Anyway, long story short, he basically said, "Look, I've warned you guys. I warned last time. Everybody said that I didn't warn, so I'm putting it out there. I'm warning you this time." <laughs> and then. He kind of just deleted everything after that. Um, and he said he went quiet. And I don't know, it might have had something to do with, um, you know, some of the authorities knocking on his door and say, hey, 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 pipe down, please. Um, but he's back somehow, some for some reason. He's just started tweeting Did, in the last couple of days. Was, was it Michael Burry that had those short-term uh, trades on like bonds, those inverse yes. bonds? Maybe he, maybe he had to take a break from Twitter so that he could make that trade. Maybe it was a really short-term trade. He had to make mm. it and he didn't want to be posting on Twitter and have any anyone think that he was trying to influence the market or anything. That's a good point. Yeah. And now maybe that's, that, that's, maybe those trades are finished and he's back on now. <laughs> maybe. I mean, you put forth you put forth a good argument. He did hold those positions at the end of Q1. I mean, it's getting through almost the end of Q2 now. Right. But I mean, you raise a good point is that if he started, you know, if he was making a, a, a bet based on what he thinks and then he just kept saying this sort of stuff, maybe he would start getting some knocks on the door yeah. about market man- manipulation. But- Anyway, he's back, Michael Burry. God, we got to love Michael Burry, he says. (laughs) In this tweet, people always ask me, what is going on in the markets? It is simple. 
greatest speculative bubble of all time in all things <laughs> by two orders of magnitude. <laughs> Hashtag flying pigs 360. So there you go. Um, wow. That's, that's, not, that's not really very cryptic, is it? That, that tweet. I mean, that's, that hits you pretty much smack bang in the face. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to start saying that when people ask me what's going on in the markets. Yeah. It, it is simple. Greatest speculative bubble <laughs> of all time. In all things. In all things. <laughs> I mean, what do, do, you, do you agree? Um, I don't know if I agree about the all time and all things part, but certainly in some areas that I do understand, I'm seeing a lot of speculative bubbles. Um, yeah. you know, it, there's a lot of high flying tech companies that are in massive bubbles. Um, there's other areas of the market, things like cryptocurrency, extremely risky markets that seem to pop up when people have run out of places to, to make high returns in other areas. First, it goes yeah. safe, safe stocks or, or bonds and then safe stocks and then really speculative stocks and then stocks that don't even exist yet, a SPAC and then, yeah, exactly. and then cryptocurrency. Um, so, yeah. There's a lot of areas of the market that are looking very, very speculative at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I wanted to look into that hashtag to flying pigs three sixty. I I didn't really know what he meant when he said that, um, but I, I looked up. Apparently, there were, there's a whole bunch of people discussing this hashtag on on Reddit, yeah. and apparently, people are just coming to the conclusion that you know it's just flying pigs, which is referenced as just something that can't happen. Um, and then 360 as in coming full circle. So, we're back to where we were when, you know, everybody thought that, you know, nothing bad would ever happen. Mm. And clearly, that's a that's a dangerous mindset to be in. Um, but, but, yeah, I don't know. This is kind of a bit out of the blue from Michael Burry. I guess we'll see if he keeps posting or whether this is just a, a once-off. Um, but I do, I do get a bit of a kick out of reading his tweets. They are, <laughs> they are quite funny uh, sometimes. He seems um, he actually seems quite right wing uh, on his on his tweet, which is neither here or here nor there. But that's not exactly what I maybe expected from Michael Burry. Um, right. But uh, yeah, some of his posts come across as quite quite uh, right wing. Uh, but yeah, as I say, neither here nor there. I just found that uh, interesting. Um, I got one more story to roll on through. Ooh. Should we keep? Uh, should we keep rolling? Yeah. Yeah. What have we got? I wanted to talk about this because this is just kind of funny, and it shows what the speculation that's kind of going on right now. Um, so, CureVac, you heard of them? No, have not. Nah, I hadn't either. Uh, but their shares this week took a dive on the latest COVID vaccine data. So, CureVac, this is a company that uh, came onto the market uh, very recently, August last year. Uh, opportune time to do so, I guess. <laughs> so, this company is a biomedicine company and they make mRNA vaccines, um, or at least they try to. <laughs> That's their MO. <laughs> they try. They try to make M mRNA vaccines. Anyway, so they come onto the market last year. IPOs at $16. The first trade's at $44. <laughs> In four months, it's up to $136 per share. Um, so at the time, like this, this company has 186 million shares outstanding. So at the time, this is a $25 billion company. 
Now, as of yesterday, it has cooled off over over the recent months. And as of yesterday, it's just an $18 billion company. <laughs> and I wanted to chuck this in because this is off of 2020 full-year results of um, 48.9 million euros of revenue <laughs> and operating expenses of 158.7 million euros. So, they're not making any money. Their total revenue is 48.9 million euros. Um, and I guess- <laughs> I guess what that show, and this has been the case of uh, like, what was that company we we're talking about? Aerotine International, which is yeah. like a deli that's got a oh, what the, was uh, million- hometown. Hometown. Ho- what did I say? You said Aerotine from Wolf oh of Wall Street. Oh my gosh, that's the Wolf of Wall Street. That's what we were comparing it to. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hometown. <laughs> hometown. Aerotine. Yeah, that's a Freudian slip there. Um, but yeah, this is just another example. It's, it's fair to say that. You know, looking at these numbers, a lot of the investors' hopes are riding on their latest and greatest mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, which is currently under Mm. development. And the company's pushing this too. They know it. They know that it's right. So, even in their Q4 earnings, uh, they said, we have expanded our manufacturing network with European partners expected to manufacture up to 300 million doses of our COVID-19 vaccine by the end of 2021 and up to a billion doses in 2022. Wow. <laughs> so, they're hyping this thing up, right? It's going to be the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, of course, sorry, of yeah. course, if management expects to be manufacturing that many, they will be manufacturing that many. Like, it's a certainty, Absolutely. right? What management says in every company is always true and you should always listen to it and you should always trade on it. So, yes, that's just a little bit Absolutely. of uh, financial advice for you there. Words to live <laughs> by. Yeah, exactly right. So, um <laughs> They're very bullish on this vaccine. 300 million doses produced 2021, a billion doses produced in 2022. (laughs) And that would be fantastic if the vaccine actually worked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, that gets me to the actual point of this. Uh, Yesterday, they released some results of the efficacy of their new vaccine, and unfortunately, it wasn't very good. So, have a listen to this from a CNBC article. They say, CureVac stock plunged 50% in extended trading on Wednesday after the German biopharmaceutical company released preliminary efficacy results of its COVID-19 vaccine. after the candidate failed to meet the success criteria. The vaccine candidate demonstrated an interim efficacy of 47% against (laughs) COVID-19 disease of any severity, according to the press release. The company has said final analysis of the results will be completed in the coming weeks. (laughs) All I can say, bummer. (laughs) Man. Yeah. It's pretty funny, isn't it? That is pretty good. 47%. Not quite. Didn't quite get the pass. I love how they've phrased that there. Failed to meet success criteria. So, failed? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Not not effective <laughs> enough, I guess, is what they're trying to say. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, that's just what happens. I mean, a lot of businesses spend a lot of money on some things and they don't work out. And uh, yes. this is just an extreme example of a business going for, for something and uh, they didn't quite get there in the end they probably spent a lot of money on it as well so yeah ouch and that's the thing 
I think the lesson here is exactly what you you were joking about before, is to not just blindly trust that everything is going to happen perfectly. Um, you know, we've seen Pfizer and uh, and what's the one that we're getting? AstraZeneca, and you know hmm. they're they're pretty good vaccines. The Pfizer one seems to be by far the best one that we've seen. But we can't just assume that all new vaccine types are just going to work 100%. And, you know, even if the company says, look, we're getting ready to put out 300 million doses next year, a billion doses in 2022, you can't just trust that, yes, this is going to have a, you know, a 99% effectiveness. And yes, they're going to actually be able to partner with those European manufacturers. And yes, they are going to make a billion doses. You can't just go, yes, that is going to happen. And um, I've fallen victim of this as well. You know, Uh, earlier on, Mm. the classic example with me is Sky and Space Global is that I believed too much of what the management team said. They said, basically said, yes, we are going to do this. And then we are going to do this. And this is then what we're going to do. And I just said, you know what? That makes sense. Yep. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And then what do you know a few months later they actually couldn't do what they said they were going to do um and in that investment i bet i lost everything um luckily i didn't put too much into the first place but that's the exact same kind of story in in here you've just got to be really careful about believing every single thing and assuming that it's going to go 100 percent correct yeah um i guess it's a good argument for the uh, the concept of margin of safety yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, what does the company have if, say, you're looking at a company that is developing a vaccine? What would happen if they didn't succeed, right? How, how much mm. money would they be out for trying to make it? Um, and what are, what does the rest of their business look like, right? Don't invest yeah. in a company on a moonshot that they are going to produce something that they don't already now, and that even if it does work, that countries will then buy it because it's one thing for them to develop a vaccine. It's then another thing for countries to want to buy that particular vaccine when there's a bunch of other companies that are selling vaccines as well that also work. So, um yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I always find it funny looking at these companies that make, what did they make? 50 million in, in revenue and they had 160 in expenses. And yeah. I just think, look, if you give me $160, I can turn it into $48. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Does that mean I'm worth $18,000? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. no. Um, yeah, very, very yeah. interesting uh, case. I guess we'll see what happens with their, uh, their, full, uh, their full results, <laughs> okay. but- I don't think they're going to be ninety nine percent. No, I, I don't. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But uh, yeah, poor old CureVac. Ah, oh, it could have been great. Unfortunately, not. Yeah, their shares were yesterday. They're at like ninety six dollars per share, and just in after hours trading, they they've already lost forty four dollars off their share price. So, oh. crunch. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Ouch. Should we get into some yeah. uh, some Q&A? We've got a lot yes. piling up still here. Um, but as yeah. always, if uh, I'll, I'll say this now before I forget at the end of the uh, podcast, but if you do have more questions, feel free to head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and just leave your questions as a comment below the latest episode. Um, and mm. uh, we just add them all together in this document here and get through as many as we can each episode. Where should we, uh, yeah. where should we start? Do you have a, a yeah. preference? No, wherever... 
take it from the top and let's just go right, on let's down. Start with, uh, oh yeah, okay. We'll go from the top. We'll start up here. Um, hi guys, big fan of the content you both put out. Thank you very much. Uh, just a question regarding how to quickly screen a company to see whether it is a great business. I'm currently looking at historical EPS growth rate and making sure it's consistently above 10% before doing a deep dive into the company. Are there other figures that you look at to quickly identify a great business? Cheers. Mm, yeah. Um, I just wanted to quickly comment on the earnings per share. I actually probably wouldn't look at the earnings per share by itself. Um, and and that just the reason because you, you think about the number, it is earnings per share and companies can manipulate how many shares um, are currently outstanding. Uh, so, sometimes that can skew, you know, they can play around with earnings per share a little bit. But I mean- I really should have a rigorous way of screening businesses. I can't say I do. One thing, I'll just, one thing that I do, if I'm just, if somebody says, hey, have you ever seen this stock before? And I want to look into it. The first thing I do is I kind of just go to hypercharts because they just put all of the uh, financial data from the, yeah, the financial statements into charts. So, you can see instantly in chart, in graph form, uh, like the revenue growth and the operating income, the operating expenses and free cash flow and that sort of thing. So, I just firstly just scroll down there because basically I want to see that everything's going up and to the right and it looks pretty consistent because I do look a lot for consistency um, in the investments that I make. So, that's kind of what I do just to get a baseline financial metrics. I just look, make sure that it's all up and to the right, you know, it's, it's working well, it's consistent. Uh, then typically I jump over to QuickFS because QuickFS I found is really useful. It's just got so much information right there. Like the information that I think we both look at mm. um, that we like to see is right there. So, you can see the last 10 years of return on invested capital to see if the management team is operating with uh, skill. You can see the debt levels. Um, you can see, uh, I think up the top left is like a box of the last 10 years of uh, of median growth yep. of you know earnings per share and uh, free cash flow and what is it revenue growth and that sort mm -hmm. of thing so i like to see you know the revenue growth and the earnings per share and the free cash flow and it's all growing very healthily over time i like to see the return on invested capitals up like 15% consistently uh, i like to see low debts and i i think that those two websites are just my quick go-tos because i think i can you can't get all the information at once, but you can start to form a general idea of whether this business is is actually decent or whether it's just crappy. Um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I, um, I'll try not to repeat too much of what you said because a lot of what I do is exactly what you said. Oh, go but, for it. Yeah, um, repeat away. I'm first just looking at 10 years of data and looking for consistent growth in not only earnings per share, but um, revenue, uh, equity, and free cash flow. Looking at the return on invested capital and how that's changing over time, low debt companies. That's really the main things that I look at. But before I even do any of that, I'm only ever considering businesses that I've already looked into. To, to see what the business does and make sure that I understand what the business does. Because the last thing that you want is to find a business using a stock screener that looks really good on a numbers basis, but isn't one that you really understand. And then you try and kind of just invest in the business and, and yeah, and just fudge your way through it. But at the end of the day, if you don't understand the business, then you really are not going to have a 
good idea of whether the it's a good business first of all and then whether it's cheap so i think that's the first right. step before all of that but those are some so of the you things. actually you force yourself to try and get a good understanding before you go anywhere else so this is how i do it instead of using a, a stock screener to screen for like 10 yeah. percent growth and that sort of thing i just start by looking in certain sectors and i just look through oh, businesses okay. one by one so i look in areas that i already understand so i'm looking at a list of businesses that I understand all the businesses or most of them in the list. And then from yep. there, I'm pulling businesses and looking at their numbers. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's probably the way I do it too, because there are certain businesses where if I see it floating around, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you absolutely. Definitely do. That makes sense. You want to start within what you already know. Um, all right. Should I ask you uh, this next one? Yep. yep. Go for it. Okay, just uh, let's have a look here. Hi, fellas. I started listening to you guys when I began investing a year ago. Oh, awesome. Good work on starting to invest. Um, I get a lot out of your podcast, so cheers for that. Oh, thanks very much for listening. Um, My first year investing has been volatile, and I'm currently down 10%. I don't hear many stories about being in the red. Um, How do you stay positive, and have you guys had down years? I'm still feeling pretty positive in all though, just a novice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good think? question. I think it depends on the way that you're investing and, and what your strategy is. I mean, if you're investing in index funds, for example, and you're just consistently contributing, then you really just have to, and I, it's easier said than done, but you really just have to kind of teach yourself that the markets are going to be volatile. They're going to be up. They're going to be down. You might be down in your portfolio for multiple years in a row during some periods. Um, But if you're investing into broad index funds, you're just consistently contributing into the market, then the way that you kind of stay confident is that over the very long term, those broad index funds have historically gone up over long periods of time. And if you stay consistent with it, um, then you know that even if your positions are down, that you're buying into businesses at a better price than they were maybe a few weeks ago. Um, When it comes to individual businesses, I think a similar principle applies in that if stocks in my portfolio are down, because I'm so confident in those businesses and what they're worth, uh, it really doesn't bother me. And I think a good example of this recently is Thor Industries. Thor Industries over the past, if you look at their chart over the past three or four years, it's gone from, uh, it went all the way up to $160 per share, all the way down to $35 per share. It went back up to um, $150 per share um, and now it's down to $100 per share. So, it has gone up and down like a lot over the past few years, but I'm really confident in what it's worth. Um, And as a result, I know that if it falls below a certain level, I want to add more. If it goes up above a certain amount, I might be considering selling some off. Um, So, that's Mm. kind of where I sit with that. But that is all to say, I guess, to summarize, when you're just getting started, it's it's completely normal to to feel the market much more um, than when you've been in the market for longer. Yep. I would 100% agree with that. Um, and I I have felt that through my own personal experience. When I first started, um, you know, I would feel bad on days where my stocks went down. I would feel great on days where my stocks went up. Um, and that's just silly. Uh, in hindsight, that's just, that's just silly. Mm. And I think, I, again, I don't want to repeat what you said too much, but when it comes to passive investing, if you're just buying the index, then I am not concerned in the slightest- 
if I'm in the red, because I know that even though I'm in the red now, I'm not going to sell that position until I'm 60, 70, 70 something years old. At which time, if anything, if the if if we see anything, if the future is anything like what we've seen in the past, then we're going to be fine. Yeah. So I, I I don't stress. In fact, I feel great. I feel great when I'm passive investing and I see red because it means that the next batch of dollar cost averaging is going to buy those shares cheaper than my last batch, uh, which is a great feeling. And then what you said, which I, I just wanted to reiterate with the active investing, um, is that. I think whether you feel good or bad when you're down is, again, how much, how confident and how much you know about the business. So I think that if you're, if you're in, if you, if you've bought a stock and you're a bit on the fence and you're not a hundred percent across it, uh, maybe you haven't quite done enough research yet, then I find that red feels very bad. Mm. However, when um, and, and it feels bad because you're not sure what to do because you, you just you're not confident in what in the decision that you've made. Um, yeah. But what I find is that if you're very confident, like what you were saying before, um, if you're very confident in a business uh, and you've made an investment and then it goes red and it might go red quite substantially, then red feels good. <laughs> it feels great. Yeah, and it- I remember the example that I always draw to is me and yeah, you, March last year, when I was in Melbourne, we were up at one in the morning. We were talking to each other because the stock market was crashing at the time and it was all like stock prices across the board were going so, so red. <laughs> And, you know, the market circuit breakers were kicking in. The market was closing for 15 minutes because it had lost so much in that session. And we were talking on Facebook and we weren't scared. We were pumped. Yeah, I was so excited. We were so damn excited about what was happening. Yeah. Um, that was fantastic. I that was what a what a great night. And I remember you were talking about, oh, I'm I'm watching um Hawk Hawkeye on the on Texas Roadhouse <laughs> right now. If it drops by another two dollars, that's my <clears throat> margin of safety. Yeah. And we were just having a great time. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there isn't many businesses that I'm very confident on, but there's a few that I was extremely confident on. And when their prices go down, you, you I really didn't feel like that was a negative thing at all. I was super excited about it. I mean, something like Texas Roadhouse, they had no debt. So, they were going to be shut down for a period of time. But I knew that they were people loved to eat at their restaurants. They had no debt. So, there's no risk of bankruptcy. Um, And they were in a really, really good position. All that was happening. Management's great. Yeah. Yeah. Management was great. Run run by the founder. Yeah, exactly. So, all that changed was the price that you could get that business at. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I do remember that. It was uh, it was very exciting. I put a lot of money into the market <laughs> in March of last year and not. Yeah. I, I feel as though not a lot of people did. There was a lot of people who did, but mm. m- many people were really did kind of get, uh, get worried that things were going to get worse uh, rather mm. than just looking at the businesses themselves. So, to, And to be expected. I mean, that's, that's, Unfortunately, uh, that's what happens with most investors. They are so caught up in the short term, what's happening right now, and that really does influence what that what decisions they make. So you know, when the stock market is surging to all time highs, they're reading all these good things in the uh, on on news sites, and they're like, "Oh, great, I'm going to invest." And then when it's horribly red, they're reading all of these doom and gloom articles, and that forces them not to invest. Uh, that's just the reality for most investors, even though it's completely backwards. It's counterintuitive, but uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. 
Should we answer? Let's. Uh, should we finish off with one yeah. more? Yeah. Uh, let's do. Should we do this one? Yes. All right. This, this, how, yeah, this is a fun question. You go for it. How did? Yeah. The question is: How did you guys get connected? What is the backstory? Uh, oh, the backstory. Take a trip oh, down memory back lane. when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I guess. So what? How did? I'm trying to just think I'm, of I'm like the to, order of I'm events. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah. So. <laughs> Brandon had his channel, his YouTube channel first. Um, and I was really into investing. Um, and I came across Brandon's channel, I think when you had maybe 200 subscribers or something. Um, yeah, it would it, have been it, very It wasn't early. many. It was around 100 subscribers, I think. Um, and because Brandon's channel was so small, I was able to connect with him um, and, and kind of just communicate with him and talk about investing, but then also talk about um, getting into to doing what Brandon was doing on YouTube myself. And um, I think you, you set up, I think the actual story is that you set up a, you set up a Snapchat or something. And I was the, I, I was the first person to, to join you on there. And that's how we spoke on Snapchat for oh, the first time. Wow. So I'm pretty sure that, that's I'm great. pretty sure that's what happened. Um, and then that's I made great. my channel a fair while after that, actually. It, it, I didn't do it immediately. <laughs> mm. I, uh, I think I made my channel a year after you made yours. So, um, yeah, but yeah. that's kind of how we got yeah. connected. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think we've told this story before that the story of how the podcast started is kind of just because none of our friends like to talk about business or investing. Yeah. <laughs> so, we just kind of, we just linked up and said, hey, we both do YouTube channels about investing. We're both uh, Australian. So, you know, let's go. Let's do a podcast where we can just spitball and, you know, just talk about what's going on uh, for an hour. And, uh and it kind of keeps us up to speed. It, it kind of has a benefit for us as well because it keeps us up to speed with what's going on in the world of investing. It keeps us accountable to what's going on and makes us do our research. But um, yeah, I remember the first couple of phone calls that we had when we were just talking about potentially starting a podcast and uh, and they went, they went for like an hour. So <laughs> I remember that first phone call went for like an hour. And I was like, yeah, this is, it's not going to be hard to do a podcast with yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's been really good. And I mean, particularly over the past, what, 18 months, we've been very mm. consistent with, with doing the podcast, yeah. which is um, really good. But yeah, it's, uh, it's good fun. This is, it's probably one of the highlights of my week doing this podcast, just to kind of debrief mm. and, and have a casual conversation about some of the things we've found interesting during, yeah. during the week. So, it's been good. Yeah. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes we get criticized because it's just too casual. It's too laid back. But in all honesty, that's kind of what we want it to be. Um, we never want it to be, you know, the podcast where there's a voiceover. And now, here are your hosts, <laughs> Hamish Hodder and Brandon Vanderkolk. Yay! <laughs> Live audience cheer. It's like, I, I just don't, I just don't see us making a podcast uh, like that. I, I just like the fact that it is informal. That yeah. you know, we we chat about what's going on. You know, some people criticize because sometimes we make mistakes, but it's like, yeah, but <laughs> we're not going to be right 100 percent of the time. We're just trying to battle through this as best we can. You know, yeah. But but no, it, it is good fun. It is good fun. I do like doing the podcast. It's it's a good way to start our, our Thursdays. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Shall we, uh, I think we'll wrap things up there on that uh, nice little bit of uh, positivity. Nice question there hey. to, to end things for the day and, and for the week. So, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, uh, thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you do want to head over to 
sharesite.com forward slash young investors. You can get four months off a yearly subscription. So particularly if you're in Australia or New Zealand, your financial year is about to end. So if you want to have your hey. stock market uh, trades all sorted for your tax time and also just to check your performance for the past financial year, then make sure you head over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. All good. And we'll be back. Good fun. Good podcast. Yeah. We'll be back next week. See you later, guys. See ya.